Welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey, this is Zach uh, jumping in here from the after recording to let you know I selected the wrong mic input. So my track sounds like trash. Sorry, it's still listenable, but I hacked up and that's borderline disrespectful to you good folks. Uh, So sorry about that. Hey Adam, I I hear you've had a rough week. Well, I fell down a flight of stairs. So a what? <laughs> Concrete Wait, stairs. Are you are you saying that uh, your worst enemy is stairs? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Uh, that was not fun, and but I, I am okay, uh, and I am ready to. I I will say one thing that I wish uh, I had been during this experience uh was you know like maybe i could have had colossus's power of of turning my body into some sort of steel to protect myself um but nonetheless i i unfortunately don't have those powers but we do have some colossus stories today yeah it it wasn't supposed to be a colossus episode but it kind of turned into that didn't it? it well yeah just the way it shakes out um well are we calling this a Colossus episode or a Breakworld episode? Yeah, let's start with that. Uh, <laughs> and folks, you can figure out where this goes. Uh, but this is uh, a episode that comes to us from Patreon supporter Jeremy Thomas. Jeremy went on over to patreon.com slash comics XF and said, y'all, I like the work you're doing. I like supporting independent comics journalism. Uh, and threw some money into our pockets that went directly into the pockets of our contributors and also into making this episode where we're going to talk about his request, which was Astonishing X-Men Unstoppable. Uh, This has art by John Cassidy with uh, Laura Martin colors. Uh, And, oh, wouldn't you know it, Joss Whedon wrote these. Oh, boy. Well, and I think we should probably just... um face the music here joss whedon uh is coming off of uh an incredibly uh, i don't even know what to say it's just so dark he's, um, he's a trash bag person and he deserves to be put in a trash bag and then put in the trash yeah because joss whedon is trash look we've known this for a long time i think that uh mrs the uh Joss Whedon's wife's letter had come out even before we had started doing this show. So this is not exactly breaking news, but uh, hearing Charisma Carpenter's uh, accounts um, in support of Ray Fisher, then having Sarah Michelle Gellar come out um, and voice her support, hearing Michelle Trachtenberg say something very disturbing that the set of Buffy was not letting Joss be alone in a room with her. Um, here's 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 oof. a good barometer for if someone is a trash person it's if other people are comfortable leaving a teenage girl in the same room with them if you cannot pass that incredibly low bar then you're a trash person yeah and that's all there is to it and joss whedon like let's let's be frank there's stuff of his that i have enjoyed that's that's the truth of the matter. That has to now live in concert with the fact that he's a trash bag person and deserves to be thrown in the dump. Yeah, so uh, especially after hearing, you know, day after day of, of, you know, either, you know, different accusations or other people coming out to support people, um, just having all of that fresh in my mind, especially as we went into this particular arc, it made for a bit of a difficult read. Um, this is the culmination of Whedon and Cassidy's run. Um, this is 19 through 24 plus, uh, what is it called? Giant Size Astonishing? Giant Size Astonishing X-Men Volume 1, Number 1. Right. So that's like sort of the, the, the grand capstone here and this is the end to all of the break world ongoing storyline that's been sort of happening since the first arc 
uh, of Astonishing with Ord. And now we, uh, you know, we're going to fly to Break World where it's been prophesized that uh, Colossus has the power to destroy this planet with his steel body. Yeah. So let's get into that. Uh, Break World's the worst part of Whedon's run in general, right? Like it's the weakest concept, the weakest everything. You know, it's so funny. Like, I think upon my initial read of this, I, I wouldn't have said that just because I was kind of swept up in it. And I, I really love Cassidy's artwork. But taking a step back and looking at this a little bit more critically, the the, the citizens of Breakworld kind of come across as, I don't know what you want to describe them as, like knockoff scrolls. Um, this entire... They're, they're dumb aliens. They are, they are dumb, like... We are gladiator combat aliens. And that's not exactly a new trope. That might actually be one of the oldest tropes in science fiction. Uh, there, there were princesses of Mars uh, who had similar tropes uh, to some of the things that we are seeing here. Yeah, and it, it, the whole thing seems to, you know, we've talked before about um, the, the goal of this series does seem to be sort of, you know, a nostalgia run, um, kicking it back to basics with a smaller cast. And um, there's a whole element of this that's kind of like um, Brood Saga light, you know, that mm-hmm. we're going to go off into space, we're going to have our alien adventure, we're all going to, you know, we all could die, that kind of a thing. Um and it makes for, you know, you would think they're high stakes, you know, maybe upon first read. But inevitably, they, you know, if you've already read this story and you know that it culminates with Kitty Pride being put inside of a giant bullet and launched at Earth, um, there's a certain Silver Age corniness to this story that is really strange. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's weird. So you talk about stakes, and I think that's an important thing because where Abigail Brand lays it out, it says, look, Break World is going to blow up Earth if we don't figure out a way to stop them from blowing up Earth, which may include blowing up their planet, which the X-Men say, now hold on, we're not okay. Beast says, hey, I am not at my point in continuity where I'm all right <laughs> with doing a genocide. I'm going to get there real soon. He'll get there within this real episode. Soon. <laughs> real soon I'll be okay with doing a genocide. But not yet am I okay with doing a genocide. Uh, that's terrible to laugh about, but it's just weird that Beast is in this position in our lives. Oh my goodness. Uh, so they go there, but the stakes don't matter because, look, they're not going to blow up Earth. Um, that's where Spider-Man lives. <laughs> right. So he can't die. Mm-hmm. So Earth's not going to get blown up. And our other option is this planet we don't care about. And we get, a we get like, a tour of the planet in so much as people willy-nilly go off to different locations. And it's incredibly poorly defined where anyone is in relation to anyone else at a given time and people just kind of show up in scenes. It's very weird. Cause the team like halfway through splits up like on two different submissions. And I didn't know where everybody was all the time. It's like, wait, how did they get there? I thought they were doing this thing. It is oddly rushed for having seven issues where not a ton happens. Yeah, it is odd. You know, uh, the, the members of S.W.O.R.D. are under command of Lockheed, uh, we find out. Um, but they've been separated from the rest of the group. And Danger is on her own sort of revenge mission that turns out to not actually be that big of a deal. Like, there are, there are these things that seem to want to have higher stakes than they do and, and boil down to, nah, everybody's cool. You know, like Cyclops get, uh, sacrifices himself uh, to the vacuum of space only to find out that it was his idea and he was just trying to get captured. And it's like... Okay, that Cyclops, that Cyclops moment's pretty good, though. Well, listen, listen, it's... listen. That Cyclops <laughs> moment where he reveals that he's been lying uh, to Ord in a very confusing scene as you read it, because mm-hmm. it's disorienting to the uh, to the reader as well, but you find out that it's not Ord, I'm sorry. It's uh, Warlord Kroon. Right, Kroon. <laughs> uh, they find out... 
he finds out that he's been lying to Warlord Kroon about their secret weapon, Leviathan. And he asks, what else have you been lying about? And then Cyclops just, like, smiles, and he shoots him with a big ol' optic blast that <laughs> shoots through the sky and through multiple pages. And John Cassidy does an incredibly good job laying that out as a big moment. And then he's standing there and saying, to me, my X-Men, let's finish this. And it's very good. That part, actually, I'll defend. That part is well-done storytelling. However, I don't think anyone was under the impression that Cyclops actually uh, killed himself in the vacuum of space. No, I don't think so either. Um, I just... <clears throat> I, we just kind of glossed over the, the Cassidy art so far, but I think the thing that's tying all of this together is Cassidy's art, and I think it, it lends it, uh, the story itself you know, a, a level of sophistication that if you were to read this with any other artist, I don't think it would fly. You know, I don't think that it the, wouldn't, I don't think that the break world aliens would really work unless you had Cassidy doing the, the level of, of craftsmanship that he is with their face, facial expressions and, you know, the weird hair sticking out of their face or whatever. It, it just doesn't work unless it's being done by an artist of this caliber and, um, you know, that was something that I thought about pretty regularly. I, I think the other thing that tripped me up on the, on the opposite end of the spectrum was especially having, uh, you know, Whedon in my brain after these news events of the week. There's some really just awkward and weird things that he does, uh, you know, in terms of romantic relationships in these couple issues um you know certain lines that stood out to me um you know there is a uh a, a real quick ad lib line that uh brand gives to two break worlders that are attacking her about sexual assault that just was like why why, why? oh yeah i had forgotten about that there's some there's some things that make me question how even in 2000 and you know, eight folks were holding up Joss Whedon as a feminist icon. Mm. Um, Cause there's some, there's some stuff that's bad by those standards. It's, it's weird. This, this whole story is odd. The way that, the way that things resolve, it's frustrating because there's stuff that works about it. Like the, the scene at the end where Kitty and Emma are talking and you get Emma and Kitty to admit their mutual respect for each other is an incredibly good scene of comics. Mm -hmm. It has incredibly good wordplay. It has emotional resonance. It's all the stuff that you remember from like a Buffy or a Firefly. And you're like, yes, I like this. This is good. I would like more of it. But then it's mixed in with dumb plotting and weird uh weird turns of phrase that don't work, especially with female characters in a lot of stuff like the the danger stuff falls flat. Hmm. Uh, Abigail brand is an interesting character who gets a lot of weird stuff and she gets essentially written as repressed and horny in this, which mm -hmm. is not great. <laughs> right. I don't think. Yeah. I don't, I don't love it. Nothing against my repressed horny friends. Uh, Cause I know you're out there, but it's weird that that is, what Whedon is putting up as this is the ideal woman. This is like, it's gross knowing it's, it's hard to read this knowing everything we know now about Whedon and how he's a trash person. Yeah. I think the other one that really stands out is the, the sex scene. Um, you know, we, we have this sort of strained relationship between Kitty and Colossus that then culminates, um, you know, in this sort of, it's it's very similar to what happens in the brood saga where everybody's sort of like saying their last farewells let's party before we go get killed off by aliens and i i don't know like there's something just off-putting about the the way that it's done um that i think i don't think i liked it the first time and i it's it all comes down to the, to how you might feel about the kitty and peter relationship in general which we'll come back to in I this think, episode i think looking at if you look at Kitty and Colossus's relationship only in the span of astonishing X-Men. I don't have any issue with that scene. Mm -hmm. And especially if that's how you are introduced to those characters, like a lot of comics fans were mm -hmm. like 
Astonishing was a big deal when it was coming out. Sure. So that established the relationship to these characters. And all you got of the past is, well, they dated in the past. And none of the murky details. Uh, which the details are very murky and bad. Um, but when you have those details, it's really hard to look at this and say, we should emulate this relationship and this should be like the core emotional thing where the other, like the flip side relationship is the relationship between Cyclops and Emma Frost, where I don't think in this entire run, but specifically in these two or in these seven issues, I don't think you get a good reason to understand why Coloss or why Cyclops and Emma are in a relationship. Mm. Like Emma's just mean and Scott's, not nice back to her. <laughs> well, they, they're they also admitting their love for each other for the first time. But I agree. It's a sort of a strange. I thought that scene was dumb and bad, actually, <laughs> when they're in the when they're in the, in the airplanes. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, what I think was worse about that scene is the way it's lettered. Mm. Uh, Chris Eliopoulos does lettering. And Chris is a great letterer. Don't get it twisted. But part of it's emulating like the very rapid fire weed in dialogue where people are having like two conversations at once. Mm hmm. And that doesn't work for a big emotional moment of Cyclops and Emma Frost saying they love each other uh, and finally letting down their barriers. I don't think that really tracked as well as it should have. Uh, Look, we're, that's just me. We're, we're, we're sort of nitpicking here, but it doesn't hit the highs that I think other parts of this run hit. I know it tries to go completely, um, you know, over the top with its giant size by including Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. And, you know, we have some Avengers here and it's going to be this big, huge finale. Um, and I have to say, I remember the first time reading the bullet going through Earth. I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. You know, that that's a neat element. But as I noted before, it's also sort of a, a very, um, you know, kind of like hokey silver agey kind of thing to do mm. as well. So I, I what I took away from it this time really was how much and we mentioned this before we started recording that this this arc took almost three years to put out um it, it came out over the course of of three years and i think what sells it is the artwork um you know i, I think if you had had a lesser artist you know somebody just doing let's say and this is not an insult to ron Lim, but let's let's put like ron Lim house art on this on this yeah, i mean that's not not an insult to ron Lim, but i understand I, there's a different level of draftsmanship like i i like ron yep. Lim's stuff but i mean just put somebody else on these issues and i don't think it flies you know i don't, I don't think it works nearly as well so um you know i think it's great that cassidy stuck around um i think it improves it greatly um but i think we both agree it's it's got its issues it does hey we've got a lot of issues though on our big list of all the issues of all time of all the x-men stories we sure do uh do you know how many issues we have adam uh 400 and something yeah 468 stories on this big old list uh the number one story on our list is of course hawks Pox. Uh, number 100 on this list is the Bendis Arc of Uncanny, where they go to limbo. <laughs> number 200 on this list is Juggernauts Back in Town from Uncanny X-Men 194. Number 300 on this list is Storm Volume 3, Number 3, Life Death 3. Uh, number 400 on this list is Star Trek The Next Generation slash X-Men Second Contact. And the bottom story is the Draco. Okay, so... I want to I want to give an astonishing update. Okay. Do 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 do. Damp and amp amp. I don't. Womp, I don't want to give. Womp good. I like that better. Uh, we have gifted at number five. Mm -hmm. uh, we have torn at fifty one, and we have dangerous at fifty four, and all of those are better than this. Yes, we also have um, thirteen to seventeen. Until our what is it? Until our hearts stop down at yeah, that's the Rosenberg at two fifty. Oh, okay, that's never mind. Probably, that's probably the floor. Yeah, but it's honestly not that far away from there. Like, would you put this above Uncanny X Men? 
148 to 150, I Bagneto. Um, Maybe, I don't know. We're getting close. Uh, if I was going to go back right below that at 244 is Wolverine Noir. And I think I like Wolverine Noir better. Really? Huh. I mean, they, okay, here, hold on a sec. There's a couple things. Yeah, okay, just just above that, actually. Yeah. Is another messy last arc. Okay. That's very comparable, and that is New X-Men, Here Comes Tomorrow. And Here Comes Tomorrow's better. <laughs> that's at 242, and Here Comes Tomorrow's better. I think Here Comes Tomorrow does a great job of just like throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, Here Comes Tomorrow reaches for something. Yes. And it fails to get it. But yeah. it's trying its hardest. Yeah. I I think, um, you know, if you're being not as critical about this arc that it, it probably hits some, some higher highs. But I still think we're in the right place on the list. Um, like, I get... You have you have Wolverine seventeen to twenty three highlighted. I do. That's the story where Wolverine fights a pile of sentient cocaine, correct? It is, and I think that that probably has some higher highs. <laughs> like I, that's a weird way to put that. Um, <laughs> that's the worst joke you've ever told. I didn't realize. That's so bad. I didn't realize I was doing that. I'm sorry. Oh no, my gosh, that makes it better. All right. Oh, I love it. Okay. Like this, I the cocaine arc is uneven to say the least. Yeah. It's a little lumpy. I think the art is better on this. You know what? This is better. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna move us up just a little bit. I think this is probably okay. better than 2:30, which is the Invisible Woman has vanished from X Factor. We've got a weird. We've got a weird list. We do, right? I don't even agree with most of these. This is not better. Here's what I'd say. It's not better than 225, uh, the Captain America Secret Empire arc. Yeah. Where Richard Nixon shoots himself in the White House. I agree. It's not better than that. It's not It's not um, better than Spider-Man 8 to 12 Perceptions either. It's not better than that first volume of Gambit, the first Gambit mini. How about the X-Men annual number one from 2007? That annual is probably not as good as this. All right, so this is going to be our new 229? 229. 229, and then we're done ranking Joss Whedon comics unless somebody really, really, really wants to, us to talk about, I guess, Giant Size X-Men number three, I think he did a story in. Okay. But we don't need to. We no. don't need to talk about that one. No. However, the effects of this Astonishing X-Men storyline do continue. Um, we have talked uh, before about uh, some of them, including Magneto, bringing the bullet back. But before that happens, uh, we have a very sad boy with Colossus <laughs> in Uncanny X-Men. Here's the thing about uh, Piotr Rasputin. I do like him. I, <laughs> I, I love him. I think he's a great character. I just don't think he should be allowed to date for a while. I think he needs to work on him for a real long time figure out how to properly respect people uh, and figure out that, you know, no matter how sorry he feels for himself, maybe the world's not just his thing to play with and that other people get to have uh, their own say in life. I think that it once, once Peter crosses that Rubicon, I think we're going to be in good shape with the character, but he's got to learn because he's a sad boy most of the time. <laughs> Colossus is one of those characters who you want to root for, but then the, is written as somebody that you can't root for. So um, he's this... the difference between Colossus and Beast is that Colossus wouldn't do a genocide. <laughs> you hope, right? I mean, he jokes about doing a genocide in this one. And then he's in that last one. He says, this is why I don't make jokes. <laughs> don't know right time. <laughs> All right, so this is Uncanny X-Men 504 to 507. Um, this is Matt Fraction, It's right? called Lovelorn. Yeah, it's uh, Action Matt Fraction uh, with Terry Dodson, mm -hmm. Rachel Dodson, and Justin Ponser. Rest in peace, buddy. Yeah, and uh, the, the one through line, there are a couple through lines here, but uh, the one of them is Colossus versus Inc. Um, who... Nope. It's not ink. 
That's not ink. It's not ink. Who is that? That's not ink. That's unnamed tattooed mutant, according to the Marvel database. Stop it. Because we know it's not ink because he's very old. Because he's from the he old. He is country. older. I was confused by that, but still, it's not ink. Well, no, because ink, ink doesn't have the power to. Ink's not a mutant. Oh, that's right. And ink doesn't have the power to move around his tattoos. I've been, I've been like. Oh, I've been tricked. <laughs> Don't worry. It's a tattoo powers are dumb. <laughs> I, I have nothing against tattoos. I don't personally have any, but I feel like tattoo superpowers are almost always dumb. And I'm basing that entirely off of ink and this one character from season four of heroes. I did not keep watching after there was that. a season four of heroes. But heroes went on for a while. Really? I didn't get past. Yeah, and here's two. the thing: as a 14 year old, when that show came out, knowing that there were not actual X Men shows coming out, I was like, I can deal with this. I can enjoy Heroes because <laughs> Heroes, they say it was a superhero show. It was mostly an X Men rip. Oh, definitely. Like they 100%. they did Days of Future Past stuff. Mm -hmm. They did. They did so many weird X-Men things. It was That part was fun. Season, I don't ever want to return to it. Season one's a lot of fun. The rest of it is you really You gotta save that cheerleader bad. and then you'll save the world. It's really buddy. bad. Um, all right. Well, I'm glad oh that it's gosh, not... Oh my gosh, Adam, there's youths. There's youths <laughs> who are listening to us who have no idea what we're talking That's about. That's fine. Don't watch that show. Don't watch that show. Oh my. <laughs> so Colossus is uh, picking up the pieces on this, this retconned character who went back and... Um, you know, basically blackmailed Colossus's parents into keeping it a secret that Colossus and Ileana were mutants. And Colossus seems to have this, like, real innate fear of this uh, scrawny gangster guy. Yeah, that part's really weird, and I don't get it. Uh, like, Fraction doesn't set up that plot as well as he thinks he has mm. here, uh, in my opinion. What he has set up is that Colossus is very depressed, and Cyclops kind of goes to him and says, Hey, Pete... <laughs> <laughs> got it i know you're sad about your girlfriend in the space bullet we are we're all sad mm -hmm. gotta gotta do something bud you gotta get off the couch go <laughs> go punch something i know you love it turn go go do that uh and then he he eventually does he he joins up undercover with the tattooed man's mob finds out that the tattooed man is actually a human trafficker mm -hmm. uh who is getting uh, Eastern European mutants who had lost their powers in M-Day and using them as uh, slaves, which is horrifying. And Colossus says, cool, I'm going to beat all of you really hard. <laughs> I did and appreciate he feels better that. about it. Yeah, I appreciated that fact. You know, they, they take these people out of this uh, storage container and he doesn't even wait three seconds to keep his cover. He's just like, not. Nah. I'm not doing this. I'm going to beat He's you like, up. Okay. So found, found my line, found <laughs> how far I was going to go into this undercover. And it's the moment you hurt people. Right. Cause Colossus doesn't want people to be hurt. No, he will. He will hurt people if he's hurt because he's a broken, selfish man, but he does not want to cause violence. He just has, he has a lot of personal issues that this fictional character, I feel fine I feel fine stumping for this fictional character who has not actually hurt anyone in the real world in a different way than I would of an actual abuser. Uh, <laughs> Colossus needs to work on himself. Well, this does get to a point where uh, there's another through line in these issues that Emma is going through some stuff with Scott. Um, and Emma decides to use her diamond form and the two of them go back and just kick the crap out of Ink and his gang. Uh, and it makes not ink, but yes, I'm just going to call him that. Why not? Uh, he's different because know, Mark Guggenheim and no one else will be mad if you besmirch the name of ink Ugh. tattoo, dude. Okay. And it does lead to a legitimately hilarious moment where all Peter wants to do is find out, you know, like who he is in this moment. And it, he rips the shirt open of Mr. Tattoo man and finds these, this, this lovely Terry Dodson, collage of kitty and colossus and happily in love and it's just so silly it's pretty silly colossus then goes and gets a tattoo 
Yes, he starts uh, the arc by been... trying to get a tattoo, but he can't because the needle keeps breaking. Yeah, it's uh, it's forgotten about immediately. I don't believe this tattoo has ever appeared again. Thank God, because he he did uh, tattoo Katya to his chest uh, over a little heart. Um, nobody, you don't do that. <laughs> Hey, Zach, there's another really, really fun part of this arc that I'm sure you're excited to talk about. Yeah, I forgot about this part. So, <laughs> so we all know that my favorite edition of this era mm-hmm. is uh, the X-Club. That Beast and Angel go on a globe-frotting quest to recruit. So, they recruit Dr. Nemesis, who... Here's the thing, Adam. Adam, <laughs> Adam, do you know what Dr. Nemesis was up to before this? He was hunting down, what is it, the the cloned super Nazis of the Fifth Reich that were time traveling and trying to, I don't know what he's doing, but it's it yes. makes for a great scene. So he's doing that, but I mean before then. Oh, I have no idea. I I assumed that this was his first appearance since, like, the Golden Age. Yeah, so he's a Golden Age character. Like, Marvel didn't create uh, James Bradley, the Doctor Nemesis. Uh, He was created in the Golden Age, and then uh, contract ran out on him. Uh, No one one was paying the bills. You can find his comics online. They're not very good, but it's very... It's very funny to imagine X-Men Dr. Nemesis is this, because canonically, that's what they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, he called himself Dr. Death and had a real hard time where he started working with the Nazis uh, and in the Invaders. Uh, it was a Roy Thomas kind of thing, because, you know, Roy Thomas and no one else loves the Invaders. Uh, then anyway, he decides that being a Nazi is bad, actually. Smart move, Doctor. And Nemesis. then he, then he, he repents and chooses to kill all Nazis for all the time. Mm-hmm. And I love Doctor Nemesis so much. Uh, we're gonna forget about the one weird nineteen ninety Invaders story that no one of us have read. Don't tell me you've read that Roy Thomas Invader from nineteen ninety or whenever it was. <laughs> uh, so they recruit him. He's great. They also recruit Box from uh, Alpha Flight. Right. Uh, coming hot off the time that Box uh, was brainwashed into creating a mutant concentration camp called Neverland. Uh, that's a Frank Thierry creation. That's very bad. We'll talk about Weapon X someday. I don't like it. That, that, that's the concentration camp that killed Maggot. That Frank Thierry was like, yeah, Maggot sucks. He's dumb. Let's kill him. And I'm like, bad Frank Thierry. Bad. Uh, then they recruit. <laughs> The most interesting, uh, <laughs> most interesting member of this cast, which is Yuriko Takaguchi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yuriko's first appearance was in Godzilla number one, Godzilla <laughs> King of the Monsters, Marvel <laughs> Comics Group's Godzilla King of the Monsters from Toho Productions' famed movie series, mm-hmm. Godzilla. Like he's fighting King Kong this 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 spring. That's right. Yeah, who are you rooting for? Godzilla, 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 <laughs> Godzilla. I just, I just watched Godzilla: King of the Monsters recently. It's I had not really watched. Really bad. I know this. I'm in the minority here, but I hated it so much. Co- tell me how much okay. you loved it. So here's the thing: I turned it on while I was folding laundry. In Adam, I do not know on God's green earth if there is a better. Turn it on while you're folding laundry movie. <laughs> then Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Because here's what it has. It has Godzilla. Mm-hmm. It's got Mothra. It's got King Ghidorah. And I was not aware of this, so this got me. It's got Rodan? Oh. My boy Rodan said that? Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that Rodan... I knew Mothra was in it. I knew King Ghidorah was there. I was not expecting Rodan. You know what it is? I don't think I have a healthy enough respect for the Godzilla franchise to really like respect and understand a movie like King of the Monsters, but I did watch it. Oh, it's a dumb movie. I don't remember <laughs> much of the plot. I think it was I think it was bad. I think the plot was bad. I think Godzilla fought King Ghidorah 
and turned into his burning Godzilla form and blew up all of Boston. And then he, you know, all the, he becomes the king of the monsters. And then all of the monsters bow to him. And the movie immediately ends with no fanfare. It goes into a remix of Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla. And there is not a movie that has ended better than that. I popped. I jumped out of my seat. It was like, oh, yeah, are you serious? They just did that? I was a little drunk. See, I liked Skull Island better, so I'm. I guess I'm. I've not watched King Skull Kong. Island yet. Oh, you should. It's that's good. on my list. Yeah, it's I, fun. I like big monsters now. I don't know what to tell you. Well, they're 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 going to be big and they're going to fight each other. Anyway, you're 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 delaying the most exciting part here, which is uh, that we get a get a sort of Godzilla uh, attack at the end of this story. Yeah, actual Marvel Comics Toho Studios Godzilla shows up. Mm-hmm. Um. It's going by the name Leviathan now, mm. but it's Godzilla in that everything canonically about him follows uh, Yuriko Takaguchi's arc from the Marvel Comics Godzilla. <laughs> right. And it's it's Marvel Comics Godzilla, and they had to change the name, and Archangel murders him. <laughs> in, a, in a really interesting reveal, too, because this is uh, at the same time as Uncanny X-Force, isn't it? Regular X, regular X Force, yes. right? So we the need black and white, black and white scrubs. Yeah, we we don't know that there is a black ops team right now, and Beast is like, wait, what just happened? You just like <laughs> Archangel through Godzilla, uh, which is fantastic. It's the existence of Godzilla in the Marvel universe makes me happy. <laughs> uh, the only reason why I'm okay with it not being around anymore is that we do have the American Kaiju mm. uh, now. Mm-hmm. You know about the American Kaiju. He's he's a giant Godzilla with an American flag on him, and instead of going, he goes, U-S-A. <laughs> Sounds perfect. It's the... American Kaiju is so good. I've not read... There's a King in Black anthology story... That was out last week uh, that has American Kaiju in it. And I'm very excited because I love the American Kaiju. Hmm. I There is a lot of fun to be had in these issues, um, which is kind of surprising given that the very next arc is one I really dislike, which is the Sisterhood. Oh, it's arc. Sisterhood. Uh, hate is, you know, not a nice word to throw around, but uh, I'm not a fan of that one. This one, this one's a blast. So why don't we try and rank it here? Um, I have highlighted, um, issue, uh, number 200, Jungernaut's Back in Town. Um, I, w- I wouldn't go that high, I don't think. Cause I think this is, I think this is a flawed story. Well, it's not perfect. Like, I just think it's fun. How, okay, let's. Do you think this is better? Let's, let's, let me throw this out here because I know this is one that always gets you. Hmm. Do you think this is better than Colossus God's Country? Where do we have that at? That's at 260. Yeah, I think I Again, think this is better than that. We've got a weird list. I think this is better than that. Um, if that's the case, then it's probably better than Uncanny 300. Yeah, I would agree. I don't think this... I know I just said this. I don't think this is better than Here Comes Tomorrow, though. Um, No. I like the, I like no. the Dodsons in this. Yeah. But... I, the Dodson art is fantastic. I, I also don't think it's as good as Wolverine Noir, which I, I know I just uh, said I liked better. Yeah, this is one. better than this is right below that is all new X Factor uh, three through four, the Stolen Island. And this is better than that. I would agree. So this is our new 246. Our new 246 on our list. It's Lovelorn. Well, it's Luckily, Colossus doesn't have to be lovelorn for too long because, as I mentioned before, Magneto does bring Kitty Pride back in her giant bullet. Um, unfortunately, she is uh, stuck with another trope of Kitty Pride's, which is she is um, she's phased and has to walk around in sort of a, a spacesuit to get around town. Yep, and uh, we we start about it here uh, in Uncanny X Men. 535 to 538. This is Breaking Point. It's the first arc solo written by Kieran Gillen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pencils and Inks by Terry and Rachel Dodson. 
uh, and colors again by the late great Justin Ponser. Yeah. Um, and this is the follow-up to the Break World arc that we were talking about at the top of the show. Um, because, oh God, what's his name? What's the... the, the well, uh, Grun? Warlord Kron. Yes. Power Lord Kron. I'm <laughs> sorry. It's He's a Power Lord. Well, he's not Power Lord anymore because Colossus ripped his arm off. So now Colossus is the Power Lord, but he just decided to skip town instead of governing the uh, the battle world of Breakworld. So, uh... He... To be fair, they didn't really explain <laughs> that very well to him when he was on Breakworld. No. <laughs> they didn't say, by the way, you're our leader now. Right. And he said... No one, if they told him, they could, I I just think the break worlders could have clarified the, the legal precedent that Colossus had set. Uh, yes. Well, the break worlders have come to Utopia, which uh, has been formed at this point, and um, they seem to want peace. They just want to be refugees. Um, at least that's what we think is happening. Uh, and then it turns out that's well, not, not what's happening. Not, it's also not not what's happening. Because most of them want peace. Power Lord Krun does want to, like, get revenge. But everyone else seems to be pretty chill. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting contrast. Um, all Magneto really wants to know is what that bullet's made out of. Um, which is like, why do you care so much, Magneto? Yeah, Gillen, Gillen does this weird thing. He's like, yes, I know so much about mag metal because I'm Magneto, but I don't understand this metal. In one, that's never really resolved in this story or in any of Gillen's stuff. In two, I don't think Magneto's a real metallurgist. If I, <laughs> if I, if I do say so myself, I don't think Magneto cares about metal. I think Magneto knows that he can throw metal at people. <laughs> right. He's not sitting there with his uh, atomic charts. Um, but do you even know what atomic chart? What Adam, do you know what chart would be most relevant to Magneto? Uh, I, uh, no, <laughs> probably, probably a phase state diagram. Oh, uh, okay. For the given, given alloys that he's messing with. I took one metallurgy class. Hmm. Uh, it was really fun because we got to pour, uh, molten metal into sand and make things yeah that part was neat i also went to a foundry foundries are terrifying and horrible even the nicest ones oh yeah i can imagine very like hot and gooey and scary no it's mostly just dirty well it's mostly just real freaking dirty Uh, um so what's his name grun is it grun Power Lord Krohn! I keep forgetting. Anyway, he enacts his revenge. Um, he has a partner who, I guess, fixes Kitty Pride by slitting her throat? So, we find out a couple of things. One, Break World Metal does weird things to Kitty Pride. Right. Why? Because Joss Whedon said it does. <laughs> Whatever. We've accepted that. We're not going to not going to delve any deeper into those details we don't need to we're not magneto mm-hmm. number two we also find out that the break world's resurrection techniques uh essentially steal the soul of somebody else and put it back into somebody's body to give them life again yeah which is a weird touch because they basically say that colossus is made up of like four break worlders yeah, they're like, yeah, we killed you like four or five times, Colossus. So uh, we sacrificed like five of our dudes to get you back. Which is weird. Uh, yeah, definitely. And then it's weird how it resolves because essentially you have Power Lord Kroon and you have his uh, paramour, Helena, mm-hmm. like the My Chemical Romance song. <laughs> uh, and she's like, I just want Krun to calm down because I really think he's a nice guy. Uh, when he's when when he's not angry and vengeful and bloodlusty, he's a really sweet guy. Uh, and she sacrifices herself. Well, first she kills. First she kills Kitty Pride with the Break World Medal, and then sacrifices herself to bring Kitty Pride back so that Kitty Pride could come back in her not intangible form, in her tangible form. And then Warlord Kroon 
kills himself to bring Helena back, but also Warlord Krun doesn't kill himself all the way in such that he splits his soul with Helena so that they're both half alive. See, that part didn't make sense to me. Like It makes no sense. That part, I'm editorializing there. Yeah, that that last part with Krun kind of cheating death was uh, a little bit of a of a cheat there. They could have just killed him. No one would have cared. Yeah. Well, it does end with a funny uh, sequence of Krun uh, helping... Uh, a lady cross the street with her groceries in San Francisco. Um, oh yeah, they they take up residence yeah. in a San Francisco like beat down place, and they build their own community there. It's fine. The Breakworlders live in San Francisco now, and only Great Pot remembers that. Yeah, that's fine. I I think it's okay if we don't. Rec- that's fine. Don't recollect this particular <laughs> plot that often. I mean, this is fine. I think the dialogue is okay. Dodson does a great job with the artwork, but it, it's. It's not a very interesting story, and we don't need a callback to these characters, in my personal opinion. It just seemed like a, you know, an arc excuse to get Kitty Pride back into a corporeal state, um, I guess, through I a, think... a rudimentary crucible system. Um... <laughs> I think I think what happened here is, one, Yellen had written a really, I remember it being good, uh, sword miniseries. Uh, with Brand and Beast and uh, Unit, who has a appearance here. We haven't talked about Unit much. We'll talk about Unit someday. Yeah. Unit's, unit's weird. <laughs> I like Unit, but Unit's weird. There's a little cameo in the beginning uh, here. Yeah, Unit shows up. Uh, but I think I think what happened is Kieran Gillen said, well, I got to fix Kitty Pride at some point because this is just annoying. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of really want to keep doing sword stuff. Wait a minute. Perfect idea. <laughs> and I understand from that point, like if those are the two pieces you're working with, Break World makes sense to slap together and be like, let's do a callback here. I wish you would have done it better. This is not my favorite Kieran Gillen story. I think Kieran Gillen's a really talented writer. One of my favorite X-Men writers in general uh, is currently making me care about the eternals which is a weird feeling that i don't enjoy <laughs> eternals 2 was pretty good uh, well you know you know how the 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 mutants have a resurrection machine uh, that always works yes uh the eternals resurrection machine now doesn't work so now they can die and that's the big twist that's also a, there's data pages that's a Love pretty it. big twist uh yeah, it's not that Gillen's like getting the voices of the characters wrong or anything here. It's it's more just, you know, this we don't need more exploration of uh Groon and his friends. Groon! Power Lord Groon! <laughs> You're making it's it fine. sound this... much cooler than it is. <laughs> I think that's the way Joshua Whedon wants us to say it. Oh I don't care what he wants, so uh Good answer. Should we rank this bad boy? Yeah. Uh, how do you think? I, I, I don't think it's as. No, it's definitely not as fun as Lovelorn. Um, it's it's worse than Lovelorn, but. And where did we put the other one? You, above it. Hey, how do you feel about it compared to Sabretooth in Charge at 267? 267. Uh, oh, I like Sabretooth in Charge better. That has that really funky art. I like Sabretooth in Charge better. Yeah. It's, yeah, Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, mm-hmm. uh, who did a recent book with Steve Orlando called The Pull from TKO that was pretty interesting. Mm. I think it had, I think it was a little uneven, uh, but the art was gorgeous the entire time. Absolutely beautiful. I, I think he's doing some Batman stuff with uh, James Tinian. Uh, and he's also has a, uh, like, a, a short ongoing thing in Tinian and Steve Fox's uh, Razorblades, hmm. uh, which is really fun. If you've not checked out Razorblades, the horror anthology, go check that out. It rules. Yeah, that looks awesome. Yeah, go check that. Go check out Razorblades. Hey, um, so if we're going under there, how do you feel about it compared to Into the Void from uh, Los Potasios Uncanny? That's strangely comparable. Like weirdly comparable. Yeah. Good art, kind of like just wonky, whatever. I, you know what? That's a good place for it because it, it's it's very similar to like in uh, the one below it too, which is C- Cable and Deadpool seven to ten burnt offering. Um, this is better than burnt offering. Yeah. So, and I, I think I would revisit Into the Void before I would revisit this, just because of the Portasio art. 
So is this? Yeah, Adam, that's the least shocking thing that you've told me. (laughs) Oh, I'd like to read this early '90s X-Men story. (laughs) So this is our new 291. This is our new 291. It's breaking point, and we're done. We've reached our breaking point. Uh, But we want to thank Jeremy Thomas. Uh, for bringing us there. Again, Jeremy went on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash comicsxf. Every dollar in that Patreon goes towards our team uh, in one way or another. Mm -hmm. So if you want to support that, that's great. We're doing great work. You can get an episode. You can uh, get special access to our Discord. Uh, We're probably going to be doing a live, another Discord live thing real, real soon uh, as this comes out. I've got got to schedule that still. Uh, But, you know, watch this space. Wink, wink. Yeah. Um, first one was fun. First one was uh, fun, I hear. Uh, next on our list of things to talk about is Adam. Where can people find you online? Folks, you can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and Instagram at Adam.Rec. And what's going on over at ComicsXF? Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Did I just call you Jeff? You did just call me Jeff, and that's weird because... I was pronouncing Comics XF and then I went Comics to say Jeff. And then I went to say Zach and Jeff came out. Is that like a weird I don't know. It's a rhyme. Yeah, it is weird what you did. Comics XF Jeff. That's Jeff. <laughs> Comics X Jeff. Yeah. No, so on Comics X Jeff, we've got some really good stuff. Uh Jude Jones wrote a really great piece that went out today. Mm. Uh, we've had a lot of cool interviews, uh, including uh Stuff with Declan Shalvey went out today. We've got an interview with Danny Lore that's going to be out uh, the week you're listening to this. A uh, lot of lot of neat things happening in that space. Nice. Uh, and then just our normal reviews and stuff, uh, which I always love. Go check that out. We're reviewing De- Detective Comics comics now. Oh. Uh, there's potential that I may be reviewing a Detective Comics comic, <laughs> and that's going to be weird. Uh, uh, that would be interesting. But I'm really excited... I've I've heard about this new character. His name's Shazada, <laughs> and he seems he seems really cool. And I would like to be the world's number one Shazadam stan. Uh, so we'll see we'll see if I end up uh, bearing that cross or not. Uh, but next week, Adam, do you know what cross we get to bear, folks? We are going to talk a whole episode about Nova Roma. We're going to talk about Celine. <laughs> She's a big. Rested woman, and she's been a lot of bad stories. Whew. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be fun. It is, guys. It's gonna be guys, a little awkward. Y'all, we've been we've been looking at our schedule, and we've had so many things that we don't want to talk about right in a row. And I think we're the week after we're rewarding ourselves, and by we I mean me and Adam's getting uh Adam's not getting a reward. Adam's getting a punishment for my own <laughs> enjoyment. Uh, but it'll be fun. But until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Atom, and we hope you survive the experience. Get it!